Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, so much to repent for already. And um, thank you. Thanks for Ash Wednesday. Thanks for a congregation that sings from our heart unto you. And thank you for gracing us with... uh, knowledge of your presence and for the truth that we sing. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So um, I really think this topic of confession comes under spiritual friendships. Uh, Do you guys have spiritual friendships? Could I get the lights up just a little bit more only because I have bright lights in my eyes and I look out and I only preach to Betty. Now Billy, too. Right. Um, do, you, do you have spiritual friendships? Because I, I think spiritual friendships are friendships that can actually get to know you deeply. There's something inside us, of course, that wants to be better than we are, right? We want to hide. One of my favorite pictures from being with my brother in the, in the Redwoods, you know, these are the tall ones, not the wide ones, even though they're pretty wide. Um, we like, we, we, we like friends, we want friends, but it's hard sometimes to truly be vulnerable, right? Because we've been burned by you before, right? Isn't that what the candle said to the other candle? Okay. Yeah, and, and, and yet uh, Bonhoeffer would say confession is so important. I mean, we, we, we bring the shame from the fall, right? It's there with us. And yet confession is a place where we can find release from that. But I love how he starts this chapter. He says, James tells us, confess your faults to one another. He says, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. It it may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service, may still be left to their own loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because although they have fellowship with one another as believers and devout people, they do not have fellowship as undevout sinners. I don't know, some of you are in 12-step programs, but one of the beauty of 12-step programs, years ago I... um, I connected with a guy from high school, and he was an alcoholic, and he hadn't actually admitted it, even though he'd been hospitalized numerous times. And I said, hey, I'm happy to go to a meeting with you, you know? So I started going to meetings with him, an open meeting where I could go, and there was fellowship there. It was fellowship of the sinners. And I loved the honesty and the openness. There was just something very attractive and beautiful. And, and in the church, sometimes we've got fellowship of the saints, but we don't have fellowship of the sinners because we don't want anybody to know, right? Not that we stand up here and broadcast it, but we have people in our lives, spiritual friends that know. And look what he says here. This pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. I'm sorry. Yeah, the pious or this pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. Is that not great? It's just this chapter is worth a read just for that quote. So we remain alone in our sin. 
living in lies and hypocrisy. But the fact is, we're sinners. We're sinner saints in the same body. And when we forget that, we become shocked and horrified that there's a sinner in our midst, right? But the grace, but it is grace of the gospel, which is hard for the pious to understand. It confronts us with the truth that says, you are a sinner, great, desperate sinner. Now come as a sinner that you are. Come to God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you, a sacrifice, a work. He wants you alone. My son, give me thine heart. Is that not beautiful? Isn't it beautiful to come to God and know of his grace and his acceptance and his love? And when you see yourself as a sinner, to be able to go, and yet he has made me holy and beautiful. Come as you are. And I picked that picture because I love the flower, right? Just as you are. And that's how some of us feel many days, isn't it? You know, our petals are dropping, right? You, you know, you ever watch these shows like American Idol? You, you probably have, right? And, and what happens there is there's a performance, then there's a verdict. You're going to Hollywood, right? Or uh, go home and try some more, right? They don't make fun of the people anymore, which is kind of nice. Um, but in Christianity, the verdict is before the performance. You're going to Hollywood. Now let's see how you perform. Isn't that beautiful? You know, it's like, oh, Jesus, you did all that for me? You made a way for me to be with you, to have fellowship with you? You shed your blood on the cross? This is what Lent is all about. Like, like let's, let's appreciate the work of Christ. And then our performance is out of that, right? Lord, how could I spit in the face of the one who loves me so much? Help me to hate the sin that puts you on the cross. Do you see that? How it's, it's different. It's not performed, then you're in. It's you're in, now live like you're in. It's a beautiful thing. He says in confession, though, it's the place where we break through to community. Sometimes I, I, I would have this thought, go deeper, go home. Do you ever spend like hours with people and you never went below the surface? Some of you are like, that's where I want to stay, right? That's, I like it. Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. You know what I mean? Like, like, let's just keep... But it's nice sometimes when you're with people and the deeper questions and the deeper statements and the deeper truths and the struggles. And all of a sudden, you find yourself going, oh, me too, or we've had that happen, or this. And, 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 and in your openness and in your brokenness and in your common humanity... Like all of a sudden you find community and you, you walk away from that conversation or that event and there's, some, there's a bonding, the deeperness that took place. The trouble is the sin demands us to be by ourselves. It, it withdraws us from community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive the power of sin over him. AA has a phrase, you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. I remember one guy said, you know, the question that changed me was, do you want to live the rest of your life without anybody really knowing you? 
Now, I know there's some people that go, yes, I do, <laughs> right? Maybe because you've been hurt. Maybe because, you know, you, you opened up and you got, you know, taken advantage of or whatever. But I think we all desire deeply to be known, to be accepted, to be loved, you know, and to have an empathetic ear when we're talking about our struggles and our trials. And that person said to me, Doug, that question is what actually changed me and changed my life. I thought, no, I need to have people who I can, who can know me. I read this on Facebook, and I really liked it. Um, it said, most addicts are addicted to escaping their reality. Notice it didn't say all. He said, the primary reason addicts remain addicted is less about pleasure-seeking and more about their need to escape and disassociate from the pain of his or her often trauma-based emotional isolation. It's like, I just can't, I don't feel comfortable. I've got this pain. I don't want to live with it. Give me something. In short, all human beings crave deeply intimate, dependable, empathetic relationships. Addicts, however, have learned typically through traumatic experience that others can't be trusted to reliably meet their need for intimate connection. Essentially, they've learned to fear emotional vulnerability and, and therefore distance themselves from other people, turning instead to addictive substances or behaviors as a way to not feel their unmet emotional dependency needs. As such, a primary part of treating addicts, regardless of the nature of their addiction, is helping them develop Healthy, supportive, emotional bonds. Huh? Spiritual friendships, right? Like connection. Research has shown that this approach of seeking authentic connection, not willpower, right? Just suck it up. Not babysitting, right? There's babysitting accountability. Because when the babysitter's gone, when the cat's away, right? And not threatening consequences, the cop accountability. It's most likely, to, it might lead mo to momentary like sobriety. It says, but authentic connections and relationships will most likely lead to lasting sobriety, emotional healing, and a happier, healthier life. Even, do you ever read like, as you, it seems like as I get older, all this aging stuff just pops up, right? Do you guys get that? If you, the young people are like, I never get it, right? You just wait. Do you ever read those things? Like, what are the things that, that make you healthy and happy as you age? Guess what? Friendship. Spiritual friendship. The, confession is a health pill <laughs> or a health practice, right? And, and Bonhoeffer talks about how we should confess. Now, how does it feel to confess your sin? Now, I'm not talking about, like, I stepped on Billy's toe and his toe, it didn't hurt that bad. I'm like, I'm sorry, that doesn't, that, that's nothing, you know. I mean, it might be if I broke his toe, right? You know, but, but how does it feel when you confess sin? Can I say it feels like death? Doesn't it? Have you ever had something that was really burdening you and you had to bring this out and it was a secret and you're like, here it is, right? Bonhoeffer says this. He says, in confession occurs a breakthrough to the, cross confession in the presence of a brother i'm not talking about just telling jesus confession uh, in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation 
It hurts. It cuts a man down. It, it, it is a dreadful blow to pride. It, it, to stand there before a brother as a sinner in, is an ignominy that is almost unbearable. In the confession of our concrete sins, the old man, the flesh, dies a painful, shameful death before the eyes of a brother. Isn't that... I, I, if you've ever had to do that, you've done something and you need to go to a brother or you go to a sister and bring it out, it, it's painful because we want people to think better of us than what we really are, right? And yet, out of that death is something beautiful. You bury that sin in the ground and newness comes up. He says, in confession is a breakthrough to new life, to conversion, to like new stuff happening. If anyone is in Christ, the, they're a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. You die to that, but you leave your baggage behind. And you hear the words, in the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And you breathe deep of that confidence that comes from the word of Christ through a brother. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, sometimes we represent Christ to man, and sometimes we represent man to Christ, right? Sometimes we go to a brother, and it's like confessing before God. Sometimes that brother comes to us, and it's like them confessing before God. So who do we confess our sins to? Just anybody? I almost put in a clip from a Seinfeld episode about a rabbi, and it is so hilarious because Elaine tells the rabbi her sins, and then uh, the rabbi runs in to Jerry and says, uh, oh, did I tell you about Elaine? <laughs> and then he just tells the whole thing. Then Jerry tells her, hey, guess what the rabbi told me? She's like, what? So she goes to him, and she's like, did you tell anybody else? He's like, well, it was at the mailboxes, and I told her, well, did you tell the cute guy up on the fifth floor? Well, I happened to be in the elevator with him. You know, and, he, and then this, the episode kind of ends with this guy and his t local cable TV show recounting the story. I think about a woman. Let's call her Elaine, right? Like, and it's hilarious. And... Um, so who do we confess our sins with? You know how I see it? If somebody shares something with me, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like I gave you this guitar, but it's mine and you're holding it for me. And you can't give it to anybody else because it's not yours to give away. And when somebody comes to you with a confession, it's yours. I mean, it's theirs and you're just holding it and you, you don't give it to anybody else. We need to be safe people. Bonhoeffer would say, hey, mutual brotherly confession is given to us by God in order that we may be sure of divine forgiveness. It, it, you can come to me. I'm happy to hear a confession. But build spiritual friendships that you can confess your sins to each other, right? And it's not like profession. Man, did I get wasted this weekend. Did you get wasted too? Yes. We're forgiven. Right? No, I, I think in confession, we want to actually hate our sin, right? We want to actually remember that my sin put Jesus on the cross. 
It's like, Lord, help me to, to hate what you hate and love what you love. And, and there's a humiliation and a humility in confession from, to a sister, to a brother, and even to, a, you know, a pastor. Um, it's there. So um, why do we find it easier to confess our sins to a holy God and not a human? Do you ever think about that? I mean, wouldn't you much rather confess your sins to God rather than a person? Yes, because God doesn't tell your secrets usually. Unless you got the gift of prophecy, maybe he does. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, you know, somehow we find it, you know, easier. And I think it has to do with our pride and our desire to hide and, you know, wanting to somehow uh, keep our secrets safe. It's interesting. Um, Bonhoeffer postulated this, and I'm curious if you see any of this in your own life. He said... And the reason is not perhaps for the countless, oh, and the reason for uh, perhaps countless relapses and feebleness of our Christian obedience to be found precisely in the fact that we are living on self-forgiveness and not real forgiveness. Isn't this interesting? He kind of he says that maybe when we confess our sins so glibly to God, and we go, oh, I'm forgiven. It's self-forgiveness and not real forgiveness. And it's easier to go back. You know, the scriptures say as a dog returns to its vomit, right? It's easier to go back to the thing, you know. Now, I'm not talking about having a confessor where they're just like a cop and, you know, it. No, because I think a good confessor might ask a question like, what were you feeling when that happened? What were some of your triggers? What are, like, they're going to try to get to the thing underneath the thing that, that caused it because that's the thing that you need to start looking at and start working. What's the thing at those moments when I'm stressed and I eat a bag of chips, not the mini one, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, what, was, like, what is going on? What am I feeling? What am I, like, what, what's happening? And the self-forgiveness Mm, doesn't always hit it, does it? Nope. <clears throat> Who else do we confess to? He says, make sure if you're going to confess, it, it needs to be somebody who's been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. They will no longer be horrified by even the rankest sins of a brother. Looking at the cross of Jesus, he knows the human heart. He knows how utterly lost it is in sin and weakness. How it goes astray in the ways of sin. And he also knows that it is, ex- that it is accepted in grace and mercy. Only the brother under the cross can hear a confession. Do you see that? I think it's why, you know, the apostle said, don't lay hands on too early. Because people who, who are newer believers haven't discovered what a sinner they are, right? They still think they can do it themselves. And, and they think it's with God, but many times it's just their human effort. And I think 
the failing and falling and seeing our human hearts. Having a conversation recently, and there's, uh, in many liturgical churches, there's a, a confession that says, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee that I am sinful and unclean, right? And somebody's like, I don't feel that miserable, right? I don't feel like a miserable sinner, right? Well, you might not feel like it, but your sin put Jesus on the cross, your miserable sins, right? And, and even in that statement would show how we just aren't in touch with the dreadfulness. I mean, I do good things for the wrong motives, and so do you, right? So if you're confessing to somebody, do make sure it's somebody who, who gets that, oh, I am a sinner, And he said, every person should refrain from listening to, I'm sorry, every person should refrain from listening to confessions who do not practice it. So when you go to confess to somebody, are they somebody that's sharing it with you or they have somebody else they're confessing their sins to? Because we all need to be confessing our sins to somebody, right? We all, we need that. We don't have to have it, but it's such a good practice. So only the person who can humble himself and confess their sin to brothers is a person worthy of hearing your confession of sins. And lastly, it's not a law. You hear me talk about the benefits of it's not, it's not a law. You can confess your sins to God. You can be forgiven. You can know without a doubt that you're forgiven. But I think it's healthy to have people in your life, spiritual friends or pastors that you can come to and say, hey, can I share a confession? And then you can hear the word in the name of Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. I'd encourage you this Lent, if you don't have that person, find somebody and give it a shot. I think you'll like it. And if you want to look for sins, read the Ten Commandments and think about them. Okay? Then read the Sermon on the Mount. And then you'll have some things to talk about. You'll have some things to talk about. Will you pray with me? Lord, we all stand here or sit here, poor, miserable sinners and forgiven saints, all at the same time. And it's good for us to admit it It's good for us to have friends and have community where we support one another. We help each other in our brokenness. Thank you. Lord, you could have taken away the sinful nature, but you left it here with us. When we came to know you, you could have put us on a pedestal and and just taken all that, but, but it keeps us humble. And it keeps us longing for heaven. And it keeps us knowing we're no better than anybody else. Amen. As you come and if you want to get ashes on your head, just know of God's grace and his love. Know that um, from dust you are and dust you will return. And know that you've been crucified with Christ. And it's not you who live, but Christ lives within you. And my wife, who's very gifted administratively, wants me to read this. In a typical Ash Wednesday observance, Christians are invited to the altar to receive ashes. The pastor applies the ashes in the shape of a cross on the forehead, 
while speaking the words, for dust you are and dust you shall return. This is, of course, what God spoke to Adam and Eve after they had eaten from the forbidden fruit and fallen into sin. These words indicate to our first parents the bitter fruit of their sin, namely death. In the context of Ash Wednesday, they remain each of us our sinful, they remind each of us of our sinful mortality and thus our need to repent. These ashes applied to the shape of the cross also serve to remind us of the good news that through the crucified Christ, there's forgiveness of all sin, all guilt, all shame. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.